Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to Ben Collins, the uh, former 70.3 champion, New York City triathlon champion, national team member, talks to us about what it's like being a former pro and what he's doing now. He talks to us all about what he learned over the years, why he's having more fun now racing as a guide with the goal of the Paralympic gold. And he talks to us about his DIY try he did with our senior editor last week and how you can do one too. First, though, we talked to our managing editor about our new event, Hawaii from Home. Do 140.6 miles in seven days, win prizes, get coaching. She has all the details after this break. Even though most of us aren't racing right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being. That's where MitoQ comes in. Like everything else in our body, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine those things with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week, our managing editor, Emma Kate Lidbury, is here to tell us about Hawaii from Home. EK, what is this? Tell us all about it. Hawaii from home. Well, I mean, normally that, that week in October would be the biggest week of the triathlon year. And uh, obviously we're aware that people are missing races. They're missing all the excitement that comes with with uh, the Ironman World Championships. And so we wanted to try to you know get people excited and motivated and engaged. And Hawaii from home is triathletes. Uh, we, we give you one week from October the 5th to the 11th to complete an iron distance, a long course uh, triathlon. 2.4 mile swim, 11, uh, 112 mile bike and a marathon run. And uh, you can do it. Obviously, we realize that not everybody wants to do that in one go. So you can do it over the space of seven days. You can do it with all your buddies, uh, you know, in one day. You can do it however you like, which is part of the fun of the challenge, which is part of the fun of the challenge. Right. I think we are uh, going to probably form a relay, right, and challenge other relays. So you can do it as a relay, too. You can do it. You can sign up as a club with like your tri club and all of you can do it together. Um, we are going to have some people who are going to do it all out in one day. Yes, we've got <laughs> we've got probably a dozen or so pros who are already uh, yeah getting pretty excited about it, and they are talking about racing each other over set distances, maybe over one day, maybe over a couple of days, but you know taking on the swim one day, and then uh, taking on the bike, and then breaking up the run into two half marathons and doing some head to head races. Um, there's definitely a lot of people out there who are kind of missing that, that the racing juices and all the stuff that comes from going head to head with people. So that watch out for that on our social. Uh, you'll, you'll be seeing more and more details about that. Um, right. I think they're all like hashing out the details right now. Who, ha when, how much can you run at what time and how they're going to split yeah. it up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of, the, some of those guys are getting in the weeds on the details for sure. So yeah, I'm kind of standing back and just letting them go, but um, it'll be fun. I mean, I think it really is just a, 
a way to to get to get people excited and you know we're all clearly missing the opportunity to race and that week in October is always such a such an exciting week and such an intense week so it's a way to try and capture some of that and uh, we do have some really cool and experienced and knowledgeable coaches who are going to be helping get everybody ready for that week. Right. So if you sign up, I mean, in addition to swag, you get like a T-shirt, you get a, bu- a neck gaiter, there are hats. Um, we also have prizes and giveaways. But we also have for all the athletes who sign up, we have coaches lined up to kind of help you over the next six weeks because we're six weeks out right now. So you yes. could prepare. So you have six weeks to prepare. Yes. And we have um, we have a swim coach, a bike coach, a run coach, and a brick coach, and a strength coach now, so, right? So yes. why don't you tell us, I mean, they're pretty pretty top-level coaches. Yeah, Dave Scott's involved. He's our brick coach, and he I was actually on the phone to him just a few days ago, and he was he was telling me that these are some of these workouts are workouts that he used to give to Crowy and Chrissy in their lead up to Kona. So yeah, this is the this is the top level stuff here. Um, so yeah, Dave will be Dave will be coaching. He, he's going to be uh, giving us the brick workouts, uh, and they're pretty fun workouts too. They're not your standard brick workouts. It's not just your standard kind of uh, bike run. Um, Sarah McCarty is giving us, uh, has, has provided the swim workouts for us. Uh, she's over in Florida and I know some of her athletes are going to be getting involved. Uh, Matt Bottrell in the UK, the bike coach, um, he, some of his bike workouts are terrific. Like they're very, yeah, like Dave, he has a very different approach to, to things sometimes. Um, Ryan Bolton is giving us the run workouts. Ryan is a phenomenal run coach. Um, he's helped the likes of Ben Hoffman, Sam Long really up their run game. Uh, and then, yes, we've got two strength coaches, Erin Carson and Kate Ligler, are providing us with sure that your body is kind of uh, moving well and uh, you're, you're strong and robust enough to get through the, the week. I, know, I think it blipped out on you right there when you said Kate Ligler and Erin uh, and Carson are providing us with strength workouts to make sure you stay you stay healthy through all of this. Yeah, so, you, so you're strong and robust enough, you know, because we – Obviously, swimming, biking, and running is great, but you also need to make sure that you have your body is uh, strong and durable enough and robust enough to put put the miles through your body. So, Erin um, Carson reached out and uh, is very keen to provide us with six weeks of strength coaching. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be online soon. Keep an eye on for that. keep an eye out for that. And then we do also have prizes. So, if you sign up, you also are entered automatically to win. We'll be doing a daily raffle every day of the week during race week. Um, we have yes. wetsuits, we have running shoes, we have wheels, we have helmets, and then we do have a grand prize raffle for everyone who finishes gets entered to win a bike. And stay tuned because we're going to have big announcements about, you know, what that – we have it all lined up. It's going to be very exciting, guys. Yeah, it's a very cool bike. <laughs> so, we you can't know, say anymore. complete, an, complete a, an iron distance race over a week, win stuff, get a t-shirt, race your friends. It'll be great. Yeah, I'm excited to see which clubs and which teams, uh, yeah, have the you know, pull out the best miles and put out the quick, fastest results. And who who gets the? I don't know. I think there's quite a lot of people who are getting keen to to get involved and go head to head with different you know clubs over the around the country, around the world. So um, definitely got a few friends in the UK who've signed up. So um, this it's going it's becoming transatlantic. Transatlantic. Quite- we should have an America versus the versus Europe. It'll be great. <laughs> So go to triathlete.com backslash Hawaii from home to get more information and to register. And thanks so much, EK. You bet. Enjoy. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with CoQ10 for energy and recovery. 
Well, MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 specially engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week we're talking to Ben Collins, multiple 70.3 champ, three-time New York City triathlon champ, U.S. national champ, but retired now. So what are you doing now, Ben? I mean, are you, you're not really retired. You're like kind of retired. I, I'm not retired. I don't know where you heard that <laughs> from. That. That's totally misinformation. Um, I am at the peak of my performance. Okay. No, I uh, my last real season was 2017. And uh, I've been working for a, a large asset manager selling uh, low cost mutual funds for the last couple of years. Um, and then on the triathlon side, I'm guiding Aaron Scheides, who is the top visually impaired athlete in the US. So uh, we are training for the Tokyo 2020 games that are happening in 2021, hopefully. Right. So you guys were going to, I mean, your goal was to like get gold this summer, right? Like that was the, that was the agenda. That, yeah, that was the, the, um, the hope, the plan, um, the, the target, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I hate to, I, I always hate to say that I, I'm going to win something because that's pretty much when you don't win something. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that's what we were training for was to do our best at that that race. And so what is uh, what is training for para entail? Like, do you guys see each other regularly? How do you train for that? Are you like on the same schedule? Yeah, I don't know if you you were around uh, Kelly in 2007 when I was uh, actually first met Aaron. So um, you might remember this, but I'll, I'll tell it for everyone else okay. out here that, that doesn't know the story. Um so in 07, Aaron Scheides was this young, cocky, blind athlete uh, living in Seattle um, and doing stupid stuff like riding a bike around the town by himself with vision that's like 25% at that point or 20% of what a normal person can see um, and running into things and, and whatnot. And he, um, he saw me. I was a first-year pro at that point and asked if I would – help him break the two hour mark in an Olympic distance triathlon. Um, I was living in part-time in Seattle then and part-time in Warren County. And, uh, so we did that. Oh, seven start of a budding relationship. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, the, we spent a lot of time together over those years. So it's been what, 13 years now since right. the first time I raced with Aaron. Um, and we've had training camps and periods of time where we've both been living in Seattle, spent a lot of time together. Um, so at this point, we see each other in season, probably once a month. We try and get as many rides together as we can. But um, when we don't see each other very often, because I'm living in California, I'm in Santa Monica, and uh, and he's in Seattle still, it doesn't take long for us to get back in sync and figure it out. So at this point, it's training when we can, um, talking a lot keeping up with each other's training. I've been coached by Mark Sortino, who's the same same coach that Aaron has worked with for years. So I kind of jumped on that train a couple of years ago so that we could be under the same guidance, be closer to the same page and, um, and train for this thing together. And what does, I mean, I think a lot of people probably be like, oh, you don't need to be as fit. Like how fit do you need to be to like, you know, go after Paralympic medals? 
So this is what I tell every aspiring <laughs> visually impaired athlete out there. When you're looking for a guide, this is what you need. Go find the absolute fastest cyclist you can who is also faster than you in the swim and faster than you on the run on their worst day. Okay? So, like, I have to be able – I have to be fit enough that on my worst day I'm not slowing down Aaron on the right. swim or, or the run. And I also have to be a powerhouse on the bike to help him out. So – how hard is that? Well, it's pretty fucking hard because Aaron <laughs> is actually really fast, right? Like people are like, well, do you just soft pedal on the tandem or right. whatever? Like, no, Aaron's got an FTP that's like 400 watts. Like why the fuck would I – sorry. All right. Let me say that again. Why would I soft pedal when I'm on the bike with a badass? Like the the only thing I can do is slow him down. Right. Um, so I have to be sharp. I have to be aware of the road and I have to pedal my butt off and then get off and still be able to run – you know, as close to a 16 minute 5k as Aaron is able to do that day. Like this is not a cakewalk and there's only a few people out there that are capable of guiding someone like Aaron. So yeah, I have to be pretty fit. Okay, good, good. I was wondering, you know, I mean, I think, well, I don't know. I was wondering, but a lot of people, obviously there's like a judgment. You clearly have gotten these questions before. I can tell yeah. it comes up. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I think I made the mistake the other day of telling a uh, Olympic gold medalist coxswain that uh, what I do in triathlon is as a guide is more than just coxing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay. I so don't know that I want to put my foot into my mouth again like that. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's both really fun to race with someone. It's an experience you don't get a lot in triathlon um, to be part of a team like that. But it's also just really challenging to be – both the the cheerleader, the 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 muscle, and you know the eyes for someone else. Right. Well, how does that work? Do you have to like tell him what's coming? Do you have to like point things out? Do you guys have like cues? Yeah, we do have cues. So Aaron's vision, since I met him, it just keeps getting worse. Like mm. it's a degenerative disease. So what I had to do in 07 was very little. Like I, I had to ride the bike in a straight line and maybe point out curbs. Um, and at this point, Aaron's vision has deteriorated where I'm pointing out big yellow cones and um, potholes and like everything in the road I need right. to make sure he doesn't trip over. Um, the swim has become where he's basically running into me the whole time. We've both <laughs> given each other black eyes on the swim. He just like keeps pounding into you and, it, it, and you just have to keep a straight line and not let him affect the direction that you're going. Um, so it's like the, the worst swim you've ever been in. And there's only two of us. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. It sounds lovely. I know you, uh, I mean, you also did, you like came out of non-retirement to do like a race or two last year, right? Like an actual pro right. race well, or did, two last year. I did the year. LA triathlon. Um, I did the, the Seafair triathlon a couple of years ago up in Seattle. I did, uh, the LA triathlon was third last year, um, I mean, I, I love racing, and that's that's the thing that I think I've gotten back since 2017 is just this love of competing, love of doing triathlon, and um, and something that I never had before is a love of training now that it's, um, to be honest, much less structured, much less um, – I when it's not your full-time gig, um, there's a couple of things that come into play. I'm not worried about feeding my family and dogs based on my results, right. so that takes a lot of stress away from it. And then the training ends up being a lot more fun. It's um, 
you know, I don't, I don't have this six hours a day that's completely structured with intervals every single day. Um, and, uh, and that I think just after years and years of that, just kind of wore on me. I did a lot of, I mostly did indoor training as a pro. Um, so tons of time on my computer trainer. There was no Zwift around back then. Back um, then. <laughs> back then. Yeah. Uh, at least I wasn't aware of Zwift or didn't have access to it at that point. Um, so, you know, in 2017, I would say I was, I was really burnt out. The, the fun had kind of left the racing for me. And, um, and since then it's, it's really come back to where, uh, I've, I've been able to really enjoy it. I, I did a DIY triathlon. I'm sure you're aware of that (laughs) with one of your co-editors there. Um, and, uh, just, remembered in the process of this pandemic going out and swimming biking and running like this is why I do it it's a, it's an amazing feeling to be fit enough to go do things that other people can't do and and experience these things that you really have to train for regardless of whether it's a race or not mm-hmm. and um you know triathlon just enables us to do so much more than your average person or even average endurance athlete that's not doing multiple sports Right. It allows you to just be like, hey, I want to swim over there and run up that and bike across that. So tell us, so you guys, so we'll include a link and everything, but you and Chris, our senior editor, went and like made up your own triathlon out on Catalina Island. And it was like pretty involved. Like we have a whole video. It's going to be great, but it was pretty involved. You guys like had to do all the planning, bring all your gear. Yeah, to me, that was actually it was it was the planning was one of the best parts. And maybe that's because Chris did almost all of it. But, uh, you know, for for that event, we had to figure out, okay, it's Catalina, it's an island, you have to get out there. Okay, so what ferry are we taking? Um, We had to figure out the campsite. Okay, well, we're getting out there. We have all of this stuff. We want to do a triathlon. We have our triathlon gear. We also need camping gear. The campsite is 10 miles away from where the ferry drops us off. So we had to figure out bike packing. We had to figure out how we put stuff on the bike, how we get out there, um, and then ride out to this campsite, set up camp. And then it was setting up, okay, where is a course that's A, safe, and B, something that we can actually accomplish within the time frame we have right. and and then there's the whole level of having somebody try and follow us and and film this thing well, yeah like, I mean, I we did send a videographer with you yeah <laughs> uh, so i mean that was a whole nother level that i don't think you will see in this in this video but um the whole process of trying to figure that out i thought was really fun and then in the end what surprised me about the experience of the diy triathlon was um, I kept waiting for the part where Chris and I started racing. Right. He said he kept having to convince you this isn't a race. Stop. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so leading up to this whole thing, we kept I, I kept being like, OK, he says it's not a race. But, you know, I know as soon as we get out there, he's going to be just like destroying me. So um, and, you know, Chris is such a better runner than me um, just on any given day. I, I was just. I was like, what is going to happen? He's going to leave me in the dust. I don't even know where this route goes. He's sort of giving me a general idea. Um, And then we get out and we we finally start and we're in the swim. And um, Chris is swimming on my feet. And uh, we get to the turnaround point. So we're swimming out to this rock and we get to the turnaround point. And we're looking down and there's these kelp forests below us. Just this amazing kelp. And you see fish swimming all around. And the water out in Catalina is just crystal clear. It's like you're in the tropics. 
and uh, I kind of pop my head up. I'm like, all right, Chris, we're here. Should we turn around? And, and he's like, yeah, but this kelp is really cool. And we start like, – we take a moment and we just dive down and we're like swimming with fishes. And like, can you imagine a race where you're like, hey, this is beautiful. I'm going to stop and just smell the flowers and swim with some fish or whatever. Like, and I think it was that moment where I was like, okay, we're really doing this together. It's going to be – it's more <laughs> about the adventure. It's not a competition. Like Chris isn't going to wait to the last minute and like sprint to the finish and then tell me I lost or something. Um, <laughs> And, and I think that just let me enjoy it. You know, yeah. it let me appreciate it. And at the end of the day, we were exhausted because it was a freaking hard thing to do. You know, we had this crazy hard course. It was off road. The, the run was 10 miles, but it was like straight up a mountain. We're running over boulders and it's technical. And, um, but at every point of the race or I guess not the, race, the event, the the, yeah, the event, right. We took time and, and enjoyed where we were. So we ran out to this bald eagle reserve up to the edge where you're not allowed to go any farther and, and looked around. And the sun is setting. It's this beautiful, just you know, crystal clear view out over the water. You can see the mainland. You can see the Channel Islands. Um, and the sun is setting and, and just really enjoying the moment in a way that I wish I had had the opportunity to do more when I was racing as a pro. You didn't like stop and – Swim with the fishes in the middle of like trying to make the Olympics or whatever. Yeah. So actually another <laughs> fun story about that. I was, so my first half Ironman, it was, I was an amateur. It was 2006 in at the, the Honu triathlon. So I don't even know if Ironman owned the event at that time. It was out on the big Island. Right. The, uh, I think it's the, the Hawaii 70.3 now. Um, and so I'm doing the race and, and at that race is Chris McCormick and McKeeley Jones. Right. Who at the, they both won the world championships that year. So, um, this was the peak of their, of their athletic careers. Um, well, McKeeley, maybe the peak was her silver medal at the Olympics, well, but yeah, well, yeah, we'll forget about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm riding along as this amateur is my first race and, and whatnot. And I find myself sort of leapfrogging back and forth with McKeeley Jones. So, uh, we ride up to the turnaround. We're coming back down the hill from Javi, and um, and I'm I'm like I guess I'm fatter than she is or something. So I keep kind of rolling past her, and then she sees this annoying little guy with an afro, like young guy with an afro, is like so white you wouldn't believe that I actually lived in Hawaii at the time. And, um, like I'm reflective and, uh, and then she keeps passing me and then I sort of roll past her and, um, and, and it just keeps going on. And then I, I, I look over her at, at one point and beyond her on the horizon is this, like, there's one cloud in the sky and coming from that cloud is a perfect rainbow. It's just, it's like out of, I don't know, a cartoon or something. And, and you see this, this beautiful, rainbow and cloud and there's these crazy shadows and it's it's I'm like wow this is amazing and and so I like pedal really hard and I get up next to McKeeley and I'm like do you see that it's really beautiful and she looks at me and she's like breathing as hard as she can and she's like yeah it's beautiful like go away you annoying little brat um and uh so years later I was sponsored by ISM and and McKeeley was a rep for for ISM saddles and I see her at a an event, and I'm like, McKeely, do you remember this race where there was this amazing rainbow in the background, and it was beautiful? Do you remember that? And she was like, 
oh my god that was you i would never would have sponsored you if i had remembered that <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so you've been like stopping to smell the roses all along yeah. is what i'm hearing yeah okay yeah. okay yeah. um i think that might have been the last like i think that was the last time i i was taking a race so non-seriously once it once it became my career and i was right. you know racing for prize money and bonuses and whatnot um I went to a lot of beautiful places that I did not. Right, right. That's when someone says like, oh, didn't you see in your, you see a picture of you crossing a bridge and you like don't remember a bridge, right? Like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you do Alcatraz and there's always these epic photos afterwards and you're like, there was a bridge that I ran past? What? What was that? What? Yeah. <laughs> Solid. So these, yeah. uh, so this like whole idea of like putting on your own triathlon, putting on your own adventure. I mean, we've been trying to like sell this to everyone all, all summer. What are some lessons you learned? What are some things you would tell people that they need to know before they try and like do it themselves? Uh, so for like, find a buddy. First okay. thing, you know, doing a triathlon by yourself doesn't make it, um, if DIY doesn't make it any safer than, um, like calling it a triathlon, I don't know. It, it's still going out in open water by yourself. And, being out on a bike and, and whatever. I, I mean, I, I know lots of people go out and train by themselves and, and all of those things. Um, it's more fun with a partner and it's, it's safer. Um, and then I would say like do it in such a way that it's a, it's a challenge, but it's also an experience, right? So, you don't need to go out and try and have a course that's so precisely measured that you're getting PRs or something like that, right? I mean, we we swam to a rock and back. We thought it was about 2K. It ended up being a little bit longer than that. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, the distance doesn't matter. Your average speed doesn't matter. Um, what I thought was more important with the DIY was finding something where the experience was good. And at the end of the day, I can look back and think, oh, that was really hard. That mm -hmm. was that was a challenge. Um, and I think we, we did a great job of setting that up where no individual leg of the triathlon we did was, um, killer or mm -hmm. epic or anything like that. But together it was, it was a long day and it was challenging and it was definitely worth the beer we had afterwards. <laughs> okay, good, good. I mean, I was about to ask you like what you miss from being, you know, a serious triathlete. But it kind of sounds like not that much. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, the the pro life is pretty amazing. Okay. And I think what I've learned is that what I thought was normal when I was a pro, most people can't even really comprehend. You mean like, like in terms of training and the I mean, I have trouble thinking about how much I trained back then. It, it seems impossible to me and I did it, right? I mean, my days were consistently in the pool at 6 a.m., swim for an hour and a half, eat breakfast for an hour and a half or two hours, and then straight out is, you know, on a short day, six miles and often has intervals. Like, every single day I'm doing a triathlon right. with only a break for breakfast after the swim. And then after that, you spend hours with Normatec, ice, stretching, PT, um, massage at least once a week. It, it, like, it was a lot of work to stay as fit as you really need to be to be at that level. Um, and at the time, I always felt like I wasn't I, – I, 
I would tell people what I did and I would feel like I had to justify that it was a real job. Okay. Um, and now being in the real world, I, I realize um, a real job is so easy. Like, <laughs> like you can work really hard. You can work super long hours and like you are never going to be as tired or stressed as what it's like to be a pro on an easy day. Interesting. Okay. Okay. This is a different this is a different angle than I usually hear. Um <laughs> the other side of it is that it's really really fun. Okay. Like it was 10 years of my life that I wouldn't trade for anything. Like I went to 35 countries. Um you know, I pretty much got to try some of the fanciest triathlon gear ever, right? Like people would just send you stuff. Um, and you try it out and give them feedback and, um, having sponsors always feels good. It's like, makes you feel like people right. care about you. No, that's good. Um, uh, but, but more so it's just like the, the competition, the people that sort of, um, the, it feels very entrepreneurial, right? Like you're, you're putting a lot on the line for these hope, hopeful wins. And mm-hmm. sometimes it goes terribly. And, you know, you injure yourself or you just like DNF or, or whatever. And, and sometimes it goes well. And, and I can't think of anything more amazing than standing on the top of the podium in New York City in the middle of Central Park and being like, yes, I am better than everyone here. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> is, that, is that really what you thought? Like as you stood on the podium? No, I mean, I, I don't think that exact okay, thought. Okay, good, but it, good. It's like you feel this sense of accomplishment, like the amount of work that goes into every one of those podium right. finishes, every one of those wins, I think people see even just a fraction of a hair of what goes into it. You know, it's just so much more effort that goes into those. So it's the sense of relief. It's the sense of accomplishment. And it's also all of the failures that happened along the way mm-hmm. that where it didn't work out. And then when it does, it's like, okay, some validation, it's worth it. I can go back. I can train again. I can feel motivated and I'm going to be right there the next time for the next failure. So Um, here's my question for you then. I feel like maybe you're not getting that kind of high in mutual fund management. (laughs) Um, You know what I found is I I actually do a lot of public speaking now. I do some motivational talks. um, Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely leveraged the Aaron relationship there and, and talk about some of the highs and lows of, of racing with someone and, um, the amount of trust that it takes there. So, um, I really love public speaking though, because, um, you get the same sort of butterflies when you're getting up, but the difference is, uh, when you're racing, everyone around you wants you to fail, <laughs> right? And I don't think they would put it that way. You know? No, but but that's like if if you ask Cameron Die before a race, right? Like, hey, you know, when you're when when you and Ben are racing, like, um, do you want Ben to win? Like, he's, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no, <laughs> I want Ben to lose, right? So like, all of your closest friends that are there at this race that you see every other weekend, they right. all want you to fail, um, and a lot of the fans want you to fail too. <laughs> in public speaking, when you're doing a motivational talk, you get up in front of a hundred people, like. Nobody wants you to fail. Nobody wants to see the speaker that gets up in front of a group and is like just terrible, just totally craps the bed, right? Like everyone there wants you to succeed. So it's this this butterflies, this excitement, this big event, only everyone there is on your side. 
Um, so it, it's not the same thing as winning a race or doing a race, but I feel like I get a lot of that same exhilaration. And what I really like about that public speaking is just that like it, it feels much more, um, it's not a zero sum game. It's okay. like, it's definitely something where everybody wins when you do well. So you want, so you think well, you want triathlon where everybody could win. Except that you <laughs> well, also want to come out on top, right? Like, like me and me and Chris were both winners. We were both winners. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I do, I do really like racing with someone. I, I love racing with Aaron. I love doing these events with other people. Um, I've done a lot of not DIY triathlons, but during this pandemic, I've done a bunch of things where um, it's taken collaboration and teamwork to get through it so chris and i did another stupid crazy adventure you did the swim uh, run back like the last race that happened we did the swim run yeah right that was another collaborative fun effort um which was incredible so i mean anybody that has a chance to do a swim run or an official attila give it a shot super super fun yeah um the swims will destroy you if you're not a very good swimmer and it's totally worth it um (laughs) And, uh, and you get to tow somebody. So just find a partner that can tow you the whole way. That's what Chris did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's sort of what happened. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, swim run's really fun. But then you guys also did some kind of like yeah, multiple-day run backpacking thing. We did a, a, two day, a yeah. two-day trail run um, where we, we carried camping stuff in these ultralight backpacks and, um, and, and camped in hammocks overnight. And I mean that, that just – screwed me up for like a month um where i could barely walk because i really should have trained for it more but um and then and then a week ago i did a bike packing trip around tahoe on oh, okay. like, it's like 100 miles of single track that that also was harder than i anticipated um so you know i think that as as triathletes one of the great things we have is is this diy idea it doesn't have to be a triathlon it it uh, it could be a swim it could be a run it could be a mm-hmm a bike ride. Um, we were fit enough to do things that other people can't do. And when you do it with other people, it's this sort of accomplish, like shared accomplishment that I think is something that we, we miss with traditional racing. Um, and I'm not saying it has to be in everything. Like, I, I love racing. I love doing it for myself right. as well. But, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's something that we can take advantage right now in this pandemic, um, in a safe, socially distanced way, um, you know, right. Well, yeah, it would be ideal if you guys like followed all the health guidelines and protocols and didn't cause an outbreak, please. Yeah. I mean, the, here, here's the thing, right? When you're doing these things, um, the DIYs, you're, you, the most people you're around is like one or two people and it's easy to, you know, co-quarantine leading up to it and make sure that you're coming healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing something different every day with other people. So I feel like it's, it's much easier to control, um, when you just have a very small number of people that you know, you're going to be doing something with. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like you like racing, right? So now it sounds like you're not missing racing. Are you missing racing? Like real races, you know, where there is a winner, Ben, and someone loses and someone fails. (laughs) Um, I, you know why I'm not missing racing that much is because I think I would probably be losing a lot more than (laughs) I'm used to. (laughs) Okay. Um, no, I do miss racing. I, I miss the racing itself to some extent, but, um, all these other things that have become part of my life since I stopped racing, um, full time really fill in a lot of the gaps. So, you know, I don't have the stress that I had as a full-time athlete. Um, I don't have to train like I did then, 
but uh, you know, I, I have seventy or eighty percent of of sort of the thrill of of those experiences. Okay, all right. And you also, I mean, we were talking before about what it's going to look like with races and if they're coming back and everything. Because you also serve on the USAT board, right? Mm-hmm. Board That's of directors right. is that the board of directors? Yeah. All right. What does that if you're mean? Need athlete listening to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd appreciate your vote this fall. <laughs> so tell us, because obviously, I mean, we all get the little thing in the mail that says vote. You know, vote. The elections are coming, and then we uh, never think about it. What does that mean? What does the board of directors do? What does that entail? Yeah. So the the board of directors is the strategic oversight for the for USA Triathlon, which is the national governing body for the sport of triathlon in the United States. So what that means, um, I'll explain. So <laughs> we we deal with none of the day-to-day operations. The board is 100% voluntary. Nobody's getting paid to be on the board. Um, it is it is oversight of the strategic direction. So for instance, a couple of years ago, we redid the strategic plan for USA Triathlon, which was getting down into the details of where do we want the organization to do? what? How do we want to help the sport in the United States? Um, most people, I think, think of USA Triathlon as an insurance organization. Mm-hmm. And that is a, bit, a large component of what we offer to race directors and athletes is um, really critical insurance that uh, that we need in the industry. But there's a lot more than that. So as an NGB, a national governing body, USA Triathlon is the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's designated governing body for the sport of triathlon in the United States. So all of the Olympic pipeline, the Paralympic pipeline is governed by USAT. Our national team right. is supported by USA Triathlon. It's organized by USA Triathlon. They have the staff that takes us to World Cups and uh, world championships and all of those. Um, the, yeah, so they, they, they govern the Olympic side. Um, they provide training to race directors, to referees, they provide referees to races. Um, there's all of these things that make the sport of triathlon possible and the board sits above that and says, well, how do we want to govern this um, organization to, to make it better? You know, how do, what are the strategic objectives that we have? How do we want to increase diversity in the sport? What initiatives can we do um, to increase diversity and inclusion? Um, how do we think about the Olympic pipeline? How do we think about funding athletes and finding youth? And how do we, how do we increase youth participation? Um, so the board looks at all of those types of decisions and, um, and tries to help steer the organization in a positive way. And what are the strategic goals right now? I mean, I would imagine, um, they've changed this year. So they have, I mean, this year is challenging, right? I mean, (laughs) we started off the year, um, really looking at how do we rebrand the organization? How do we, add value to memberships, um, different types of memberships, mm-hmm. different offerings within our memberships. Um, how do we include more people into the USAT umbrella than just the hardcore racers? Right. Um, and then how do we bring in more women into the sport, more minorities into the sport? Um, how do we reduce the barrier to entry? So those were some of the big things at the beginning of the year that we were talking about. Um, obviously as an Olympic year, there was also, uh, I mean, at that point 
by 2020, if you haven't figured out what your Olympic pathway is going to look like. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's you – know, you're not going to make it by June. Yeah. Right. right. But, but to some extent in January, we're still talking about, okay, how do we make sure that these athletes that we have have the funding they need um, to do great things? But, but then in March, you know, it all gets turned upside down and mm-hmm. our strategic objective, objectives go from – you know, all of these forward thinking things to how do we plug the hole? You know, we suddenly we're not getting any income because most of the income is coming from membership and one day fees that's allowing all of these programs to happen. Um, and so, that's like dried up because nobody really renews until they have a raise pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we still have the magazine. We still have right. discounts. Like, I mean, there's still a lot of compelling reasons to be a USA triathlon annual member. Um, but that's the reality, right? Like you're probably going to look at that membership renewal notice and, and be like, well, I'm not racing. I don't need the insurance. Um, and so now it's well, how do we make a compelling case for remaining a, a USAT member? Um, we've actually had people, new sponsors come on this year. I mean, we so we you know, we are we are moving forward. I think we're still providing a lot of value for members. Um, but. But yeah, a lot of the the big initiatives, especially the ones that we're going to take money to do, um, are, are kind of on hold at the moment um, as we try and get through this. Yeah, I mean, I saw obviously I don't know the financials or anything, but um, I saw like the you know we did trying to raise money just to keep our athletes funded for the because they committed to keeping everyone's funding, and he mm-hmm. you know they said they were going to keep doing that, but it's you know. Paying all those bills is, is hard right now. Yeah. I mean, a, a large portion of that is travel and obviously travel is, is not there. But, <laughs> um, you know, um, a lot of these national team athletes or a few of the national team athletes get health insurance through the program. So making sure that those athletes keep that. Um, I wish more athletes did. I think it's actually a very small number of people that qualify for that elite athlete health insurance through huh. the USOPC um, but then there's, there's monthly stipends that are, uh, you know, a joke. If you haven't seen the weight of gold, the, the recent documentary, it kind of talks about how little funding there is for these national team athletes. I mean, right. people that sacrifice everything to, to represent their country and, um, and get, you know, $700 a month stipends that they're supposed to live on through training. Um, and part of that is that all of the Olympics in the U S is non-government funded, mm-hmm. um, so it's all private sponsorship, which, uh, you know, we're competing against other countries like Great Britain that have huge uh, public monies that go towards their sport. Um, uh, so that, that can be challenging. Um, I think it was already very little money going to the athletes and, and that very little money is now seeming like a lot of money when we're trying to think about it in the context of zero income to the organization. Right, right. That's the, uh, the challenge. And obviously, I mean, moving forward, you and I were talking – I don't think anyone knows, but what, you know, what does it even look like? What does triathlon look like? What does USAT look like? What does triathlon in the U.S. look like next year? I'm not even convinced we're going to have big races in the first half of the year, you know. I think it's so hard to figure out what's going to happen with mm-hmm. any races. You know, we, in April, we were talking about, oh, you know, we need to postpone Paralympic Nationals. When's it going to be? And, and at the time, we were talking about doing races in September and we even – had nationals rescheduled for a while and right and uh you know it it pretty quickly became obvious that asking athletes to travel was just not the way that we wanted to be remembered (laughs) um so 
you know, I think the incentive is there. We really want to have races. Right. Um, you know, speaking as, as Ben Collins again and not as the, the board of directors. <laughs> you just want to have races. You said, so like, we all want to have races, but at the same time, I, I just think it's 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 almost irresponsible to to race right now, you know, to ask people to travel for for these big, you know, potential super spreader events, no matter how careful we are. Um, you know, if one person gets infected and dies because they wanted to go to a, a race across the country, like that's too many. Um, how do you prevent that from happening? Um, and it's tough because like we're race directors, athletes, like we're all trying to figure out how to survive this. I mean, it's, <laughs> in some level, like every, every professional athlete out there is a, is a small business that's right. also not getting any money right now. I've talked to a lot of pros and they're, their sponsors have delayed payment, mm -hmm. you know, they're not paying them anything for 2020. And I said, sorry, we'll just pick up the contract in 2021, which, which frankly, that sucks because like all these bike companies, they're selling a lot of bikes right now. There are a like, lot of bikes I, being sold right now. That is I, true. I get that you are having trouble justifying an athlete that's not out there racing for you, but come on, it's not like your revenue is, is hurting that bad. Um, so all you bike companies listening, like buck up and, and pay your athletes. Uh, <laughs> I think bike companies are doing okay. I think, well, I mean, they were having some supply chain issues early on, but now I think they've, they like have sold out. They like don't have any more bikes to sell. Like, right, right. right. I mean, and, obviously like those, to be frank, the industry sponsors don't pay that much. So no, it's not going to, no, it, I mean, it's like, not going to be the difference for the, the pro athletes. It's, it's the, the non-endemic sponsors where, where you're making right. your money as an athlete. Okay. Okay. So it's not, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Cause like, but it is true that the run com like running companies are doing perfectly fine right now at home gyms. You like couldn't find a wetsuit forever because they were all sold out. <laughs> yeah. I should have sold my, my, I have like a stack of 10 of them in my closet, which is just, I'm a hoarder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, if anybody wears a size small and blue 70, um, you know, let me know. <laughs> okay, good. There you go. See, we're just going to have a podcast here where you sell old goods. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll call it the, um, the triathlon exchange. Uh, <laughs> what else? I mean, okay. So all of your, I mean, you triathlon for 10 years after college, you kind of happened into it cause you were like working and living in Hawaii. What do you think you learned over that 10 years? that you like that made you better faster? So I had, you know, I had really uh, good coaches along the way that at the time, I don't think I appreciated how much I learned mm. from each of them. So, so my first coach was a guy, Michael McMahon out in, in Hawaii. Um, and he's a PhD in physiology. Um, and he, he was super efficient with the workouts. So, mm. I mean, it was great because coming from swimming, low bone density, if I ran 30 miles in a week, I was going to have shin splints or something. And I, um, and he was able to give me these structured workouts that got me to do really well early on, on very little volume, which is what I needed at the time. Uh, and then my coach after that was Victor Plata, who was kind of the other end of the spectrum. He was like, huge volume. This is what it takes to actually be great at ITU racing. Um, and with him, I was getting injured over and over again because of the volume. But what he did is he taught me the structure that you need as a professional of having your day 
the training is the priority. You get it done. You swim, you bike, you run, and you give your body the greatest chance to recover between workouts possible. So I went from, call it, you know, 14 hours a week of training under Mike McMahon to nearly 30 under Victor, but he taught me how to do it in such a way that I was actually able to absorb the training. Mm -hmm. And it took a little while to adapt, but eventually it became, I, my body did adapt to that and I learned what I was capable. And that really took me to the next level was being able to take that, that greater amount of, of uh, volume and turn it into performance. Um, and then my, my coach for the majority of my career was, um, Mike Doan. He also coaches Andy Potts mm. to this day. Um, and Mike Doan has this swimmer mentality that really resonated with me as a college swimmer of um, just put in a little bit of work every day. You don't have to be out there doing race efforts all the time. It doesn't have to be these these super workouts where you go out and do you know five by two k on the track at, at race pace or something. Um, you don't need those. You just need to put in um, a little bit of work every day. And and so I kind of have this analogy to training, which is you have this jar um, and you're trying to fill it with uh, with with rock. Okay. Okay. And and if you take these big rocks and you put them into this jar, like there's going to be a lot of air left over. There's going to be a lot of space. But if you try and fill the jar with these grains of sand, there's not going to be any air left over, right? You're going to get the most – this jar is going to be so heavy afterwards you can't even lift it up. Um, and that's what training is like. Like if you're throwing rocks in, if you're throwing the big ones in, it's it's going to break the glass or you're not going to fill it with that much stuff. Um, you, you just can't do that. You know, um, It's all about how many of these little stones you can put in. And, um, and when you do that, you show up at a race and you just have this extreme confidence on race day that – that you don't get any other way. Okay. I'm not really sure what the jar was in that metaphor. Like, yeah, well, the jar is your body. If you break okay. that glass, that's the injury. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's sort of your, like, your capacity, right? Your, your, your capacity is, is the size of that jar. So okay. I don't know. Some people have, you know, mayonnaise jars that are like 32 ounces, and some people are working with like a little, you know, one of those, those little four ounce things right. you get at the farmer's market. But, um, you know, whatever jar you have, you want to fill it with as much stuff as you can without breaking that jar over, you know, overfilling okay. it when you would get injured. Okay. Okay. I, is that one of your analogies you use in your motivational speaking? No, no. It just no. felt very it's, thought through. It felt like. Yeah, you had... <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think I actually got part of that from Victor Plata. Okay. But uh, uh, no, I think if I tell people that they have a, a little four ounce farmer's market jar, um, they'd probably be a little bit offended by that. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> all right all right tips for motivations what tips do you give people though so i'm sure uh you end up talking to a lot of triathletes who want to get into it i'm sure you talk to like up and coming new pros who want to know like how do i make it what what do you tell them uh if i talk to someone who's trying to get into triathlon as a pro right now i usually tell them that maybe they should find a different sport that actually has money in it oh um, that's nice thanks yeah yeah so that's good. <laughs> No. Um, so a few years ago, a lot of the races consolidated. So mm -hmm. what's great is I was, I was at my peak as a pro, um, in sort of the, the first half of the last decade leading up to 2015, 2016 even. Um, and at the time there were just so many races with prize money. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the Lifetime Fitness Series was incredible. It was a huge opportunity for a lot of us uh, that were short course specialists. Um, and, you know, I had support from the national team at that time when I was doing uh, the national, when I was racing, trying to qualify for the Olympics up to 2012. Um, so I was really at a time when you could go out almost any weekend and make money as a pro just from prize money. Um, and you could get a lot of exposure. And I think those opportunities are just lower now. By the end, it was it was getting to be frustrating 2016, 2017. It seemed like every race was owned by Ironman. Right. There weren't that many with prize money. And so every time you showed up to race, it it felt like a world championship. You just had to be on your A game that wasn't healthy. Um, you know, I went from being able to race 12, 15, I think my biggest season was 18 races, um, like big prize money races. And um, by the end, like, you could maybe find eight and every one of them was going to have, you know, Javier Gomez showing up with you at the same race, you know, and, and how do you expect to make a lot of money or win races when every single race you have to be at peak, peak performance, the type of, of, of fitness that you really only want to be at once a year. Hmm. Okay. So, you, so your so, so your advice is don't do it basically right now, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but my, my advice is it's really hard. If you want to go for the Olympics, I think that's a great path. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have another source of funding in your life, I think it would be really hard to do what, what I did, what Andy Potts probably still does what Cameron Dye did, Sarah Haskins, all of the people from sort of my peak um, of, of being truly full-time professionals where our, our whole income came from the sport of triathlon. I think that's really hard at this point. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of, uh, in terms of people who just want to try triathlon and get good at it, yes. what do you tell so, them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you meant who's getting into sport as, as well, a pro. Both, either, um, whatever. <laughs> No, so people who are getting into the sport, like I, um, I love seeing people that come and are are getting excited about it. Um, I still get excited about triathlon. I mean, it combines a lot of different skill sets. It's something that I think you can do it as uh, as a lifestyle. It can be as much or as little of your of your life as you want. But what's great about triathlon is the sport of cross training, right? Mm So, you know, it's it's diversity of training you're out there doing swimming one day biking the next um it's really fun i think to have a training plan that's as complex and there's so many moving parts and and what excites me about triathlon today is the same that excited me when i did my first one in 2005 it's you're never going to have a perfect race there's always something to work on and improve and every time you get better at one thing there's probably something that you got worse at so um you know, I, what I, what I did throughout my career, um, is I, I kind of tracked the, the things I had screwed up oh, yeah. and, and the things I had done well. And my goal was to never repeat the mistakes. And, and I definitely repeated some mistakes. Did you? Um, okay. Which, what, like what? <laughs> I remember So in 2007, my last amateur race was the, the Hamburg ITU short course world championships. Right. And I, I won the race overall. And um, I've trained really hard for that. I, I was still working at the time. Um, and, you know, my plan was go to this race, do as well as possible, become a pro. And uh, I, I like 
had my bike shoes in my transition bag when I so I come into transition and so I had forgotten to lay my shoes out like <laughs> um so that was like that's a really stupid mistake that I I, I didn't make again but like that's good it's good you didn't make forward, that one again yeah I didn't make that one again but like these these stupid like, the mistake was not just having my shoes not where they were supposed to be the mistake was not being prepared for the race right. and not setting up my transition in a way that is that I'd practiced and perfected. I let the the moment or the the hype of the race or whatever um, distract me. Later on in my career, it's a sort of a related mistake, but what happened is I got so complacent with my routine that I started forgetting things. I remember getting to the Victoria 70.3 in 2017, one of my last pro races, I I took the the Victoria Clipper there and I, I show up at my my hotel I'm staying at and I start unpacking my stuff and I forgot a wetsuit. <laughs> I, I've got ten in my closet. I already talked about that. Like I there was no excuse to forget the freaking wetsuit. And so then instead of preparing for the race and warming up and going through my normal routine, I'm like trying to find somebody that's willing to lend me a wetsuit the day before the race. Okay. Um and, and so the sort of the absent-mindedness or, or just being forgetful, I think, was something that, that happened throughout my career. But particularly the beginning and the end, it felt like I was going full circle on just being an airhead. Okay. I feel like I saw you at that race for sure. I, yeah, Victoria. You, know, you took the ferry over to a race. It's great. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I was living in Seattle, just walk onto the ferry and, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, all right, so here's here's what uh, usually we finish with a would you rather. Okay. All right, you ready? Here's my would you rather for you. Would you rather race solo, race guiding someone, or do like your made up own adventure race? I can't do all of those. I mean, I, like, <laughs> no, you have to pick. This, this Which would you rather do? Yeah. I only get to choose one. Yeah. I, I can only do one style of racing. From now until the rest of the time. Yes. I would DIY. Okay, okay. So my my preference would be the reverse order. DIY, guide, solo. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Well, good to know. See, now you're stuck. You have to do that forever now. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I want to do all three. There's there's so many benefits to every one of those types of, of doing a triathlon, and every one of them is fun, but... Um, for sure the DIY right now is something that has me really excited because there's just so much that you can do with it. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Ben, uh, and not swearing too many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Have a great day. It's good talking to you, Kelly. Thanks to Emma Kate and to Ben for giving us all that insight to everything he's doing these days and, and what he's learned. And thanks to all of you for listening. Hopefully you got inspired to do your own triathlon or to join us for Hawaii from home. Again, you can get more information at triathlete.com backslash Hawaii from home. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss anything coming up. 